Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Today's message is part of a series entitled Recharge. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. Again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so great to have you here on this first Sunday of the new year. And I trust you're off to a good start. Some of you are. From my perspective, choosing to be in church today is definitely a step in the right direction. It is. And when you desire to start the new year off right, you can't do any better than a presence of God. And God's presence is here. Do you sense it? Do you, do you know that? In fact, whenever we gather together, the Bible tells us that his presence is here. You know, we spend a lot of time putting these services together for you. Every uh, song, every word, everything that we do, we communicate it to you in hopes that your heart would be open and you'll receive it. And this song that you just heard, every one of those words is important. You know, helping us to move in a way that is closer to God. Understanding the power of his love and the power of his cross. David said in Psalm 27, it's my one thing to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold his presence, to be with him. And so we're here today and it's so good to have you. We're starting a new year. You heard everybody already who's been up here talk about it. And we have the challenge of whether or not we want this year to be the same as 2017 or if we want it to be different. I think it can be different. I think it can be great. There's great potential and great promise for us in 2018, individually and as a church. But we have to take that step. And when we come, we have to acknowledge his presence. And he is here to minister to us in a very special way. I, I sense it. it. It happened as soon as I walked into the church today. Uh, we had our communion behind uh, the, the scenes before the, the church service started. Uh, the, the worship team has communion always uh, before the service. And I just sensed that the presence of the Lord was going to be with us in a, in a very powerful way. So I thank you for being here today. As we get started, I'm wondering how many of you own a cell phone? Or, or maybe uh, an easier metric would be how many of you don't? Now, uh, we're not an average here at Community Christian Church. We've never been average. We're never going to be average. We're way above average. But if we were average, the 93 to 94% of you would own cell phones. Nine and a half or 9.4 out of every 10 people living in the United States own a cell phone. And I'm sure some of you still have one of those old-fashioned flip phones. Uh, but most of us have... A smartphone. And you probably don't give this much thought, but that smartphone of, you, of yours is an amazing little gadget. It can do a bunch of different things. Yes, it's a phone, and it allows you to, to call, make calls and to receive calls. But it's so much more than that. Your phone's also a camera with picture-taking capabilities. And it's a photo album that can store all of those pictures. Your phone is an answering machine that allows people to leave you a voicemail when you're dodging their call 
or, or when you're busy and you can't get to the phone. It's a computer keyboard that allows you to type text messages. It's a clock and a calendar that gives you the date and the time of day. It has an alarm that can wake you up in the morning or when you're taking a nap. Your phone is a Rolodex that stores the contact information of all your close family members and friends. It's a calculator, a banker, a garage door opener, a radio, a TV, or a DJ. It's a cookbook, a checkbook, an audio or an e-book, a heart and baby monitor, a hand warmer, a guitar tuner, a remote car starter-upper. It's a speed trap locator, a coupon provider, a step counter, a house and restaurant finder, or a GPS. And the list goes on and on and on. And again, nine and a half out of 10 people living in the United States own a, a phone. And you're on that phone, if you're average, about five hours a day. And right about now, some of you are saying, oh, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. You are on your phone a lot more than you think. And if you're average, you're on it about five hours a day. Unless you're a student, then you're on it about twice as much as that, like nine hours a day. Students look at their phones 75 times a day. And so when you take a student's phone away, it's not a discipline, it's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> the equivalent of a death sentence. So be careful with that. Now regardless of whether or not you're a heavy phone user or a light cell phone user, or if you have a flip phone or an iPhone 10, there is one common phone aggravation that we all have to contend with and I mean navigate on a continual basis. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The battery. Say that. The battery. If you're not careful, when overused sometime during the day, that little battery bar will begin to shrink. And then it turns from green to red. And then it sends you a few warnings. And if you still don't pay attention without any advance notice, your screen will go dark. I mean completely blank. And just like that, your amazing little gadget, your little device called a smartphone, it'll be useless. And nothing about the phone itself changes. It's still an incredible machine with unlimited potential. The only problem is now you have a dead battery and you just don't have any power to run it. Let me say that one more time. Your phone doesn't change. The capabilities of your phone doesn't change. It's basically the same phone. The only problem is the battery's dead and you don't have any power to run it. Don't look now. But I just described the spiritual condition of many, many people. And now I'm talking about good Christian people. Some time ago, your soul bar turned from green to red. And for a while now, it's been screaming at you. Time to recharge. Time to plug into a power source. And if you don't listen... 
If you refuse to engage in some much-needed soul care and you don't do the necessary things to improve your spiritual condition, you know what's going to happen? One day your screen is going to go blank. I mean spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, financially. It's going to go dark. And you're going to wonder what in the world just happened. And I wish I could tell you that I'm being overly dramatic here. I'm not. You would be amazed at what people are going through these days. Some of you are way past the warning stage. And you're on the brink of a full-blown crisis. And this needs to be addressed immediately. And I have some good news for you. Scratch that. I have some great news for you. You can plug in starting today. Right here, right now. You can make the decision that you're going to recharge. And that this year, at the start of this year, something's going to be different. It's not going to be just the same as last year. As we've already said countless times, 2018 has the potential to be the very best year you've ever experienced. But some of you need to get off your apps. I woke you up, didn't I? Your APP. Your apps. All right? Now I'm talking about some of your life applications that you are involved in and doing in the power of your own strength. You have to shut some of those apps down. And you have to be willing to recharge and engage in the power and the presence of God. Say that, recharge. recharge. Say it again. Recharge. recharge. That's what we're going after this month in January. The very first month of the year. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk to you about getting involved in the recharging process. Going from empty to full in every dimension of your life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about your soul. Say that, my soul. My soul. soul. Lest you forget, the God who created us, he designed us with three distinct parts. Spirit, soul, and body. The Bible tells us that when God created us, he created us in his image and likeness. And God himself is triune. He's a triune being. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons all in one. one. That's the way God made us. He made us triune beings. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said, I pray for you every chance I get. And here's how I pray. Here's what I pray. I pray that the God of peace will sanctify you or set you apart and that your whole being, your spirit, soul, and body will be preserved and kept complete until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prayer that Paul prayed for us. Every chance he got that our whole being, every part of us, would be kept blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the human, human beings, as human beings... We're made up of three parts. We have a spirit man with a soul all wrapped up in a body. And the body contains five senses. 
We can see, we can smell, we can taste, touch, and hear. With these five senses, or with the body, we can relate to and interact with the world around us. Now, the soul is oftentimes defined as our mind, will, and emotions. The human soul contains our individual moral code. And the soul allows us to interact and to relate and understand ourselves. And finally, the spirit man comes alive when we're saved. At the time of our salvation, when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God makes our spirit alive. And with a living spirit, with an alive and anointed spirit, a resurrected spirit, then we can interact and relate and know God. We can understand and interact with our God. So we're triune in nature, spirit, soul, and body. And again, today I want to talk to you about the soul. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a what? A living soul. One more time. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Where did the soul come from? From the breath of God. And since the soul originated with the breath of God, the only way to sustain the soul is with the breath of God. See, the healthiest, the healthiest souls, they don't draw their strength from themselves from others, from stuff, or from sleep. They, they draw their strength from God. God breathed into man the breath of life, and we became a, a living soul. God gave us a soul. That's why in Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, David said, my soul finds rest in God alone. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone, he is my rock, my fortress, and my salvation. I shall never be shaken. If God created the human soul, in Genesis 2, 7, along with many other verses in the Bible confirm that, then the only way to manage and maintain the soul is with the help of God. That means soul care is directly linked to our relationship with God. Can I say that again? Soul care, recharging and taking care of your soul, making sure that your soul is not depleted but it's full, it's directly linked to our relationship with God. If we are not connected to him, fully connected, if we don't plug into the divine power source on a regular basis, it's going to be nearly impossible for us to effectively recharge. And tell me again, if we can't recharge our soul, what happens? The screen goes dark. We have blank screens if we can't recharge. So here's my conclusion. This is what I want you to hear during this very first installment. Soul recharging is not just doing less. 
It's doing what counts, what matters most. See, some people think that all they have to do is trim back what they're doing right now and cut out some things because we're too busy, and that's a step in the right direction. But it's not just doing less. Recharging your soul is doing what counts. And here's my short list of what matters most. When you're looking to recharge your soul, when you're looking to connect with God and to make sure that you are not depleted of the necessary things that will give you life and give you power and give you joy and give you faith, here's the short list of things that are really important as far as I'm concerned. Prayer, devotion time with God, Bible study or Bible reading, church attendance, giving, serving, and sharing your faith. One more time. Prayer, devotion time with God, Bible reading or Bible study, church attendance, serving, giving, and sharing your faith. And friend, truth be told, for some of us, these things are almost non-existent in our lives. Or at best, they have fallen to a very low level of importance in our hearts. And again, a healthy soul is a thankful, prayerful, charitable, and faith-filled soul. That's what we're talking about here when we're talking about recharging. We're talking about adding these things into your life that come from that little list that I just described to you. Am I communicating? Are you, are you getting some of this? I don't always do this. I do it sometimes. But I'm going to ask you this morning for the liberty, for just a few minutes now, not, not a long time, to speak from my heart. Would you let me do that? Some of you have been around for a while. I hope that you can trust that when I talk to you, I'm talking to you from the Word of God. Some of you don't know me. Maybe you're here visiting for the first time. Maybe uh, you know, you've been at other churches and some things went south. They went bad. And, and you're having a hard time trusting. I want to talk to you for just a couple of moments as we begin this new year from my heart. Because I believe this year is going to be a great year. You know, I, I like to be the cheerleader. And I will say that I'm a positive person. And sometimes I'll just be positive because positive is better than negative. Knowing that it's not going to be the best I feel 2018 can be the best. I feel something big is on the horizon. I really do. I have great expectation for this year. And so I just want to, I want to say a couple of things that I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will help bump you off, off the dead center if you need to be. If you're pursuing God, and I mean you're in a good place, and, you're, and, and you are on top of your game spiritually, and you are loving God and serving God and spending more time in the presence of God than you ever had before, good for you. Stick around and rub off on some of the rest of us. But some of us need to get bumped off a dead center because we've been doing the same things over and over again as believers, and it hasn't really helped us. The brand of Christianity that we are currently living in the United States is not the gospel message that Jesus preached to us. I'm going to say that again. 
The brand of Christianity that we are living here in the United States of America is not the gospel message that Jesus preached to us. It's certainly not the gospel that Paul the Apostle or any of the other New Testament writers passed along to us. Our gospel, the one that we hold on to today in America, is a gospel of convenience and it's a gospel of complacency. I mean, we follow the teachings in the Word of God and we listen to what the Scripture has to say as long as it's convenient for us. But if it's confrontational, the Word of God, if the preacher says something that challenges us or bumps us off of the way that we're living and compels us to repent of some things that we're doing that are not, not right, a lot of people, they're not really open to that kind of preaching. More people today come to church and they want to hear the Word of the Lord so that it can bless them or entertain them. Very few people have acknowledged that the Word of God is transformational it transforms us we don't want a transforming word we want an entertaining word and I'm not directing this message at you please understand I'm not talking about community Christians remember I said we're way above average I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ the average local church in America now this brand of Christianity that I just described to you one of complacence and convenience it has become very upsetting to other Christian nations in the world, and I'll tell you why. These are Christian nations that we have preached the gospel message to. And the gospel that we're living is not the gospel we preach to them. For the past 50 years or so, American missionaries have traveled across the world, I mean to the four corners of the earth, We've gone to Asia, to Africa, to South America. We've been in the Philippines, in India, in Mexico, in Russia, all over the globe. And these American missionaries have been so passionate about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They have preached an uncompromised, anointed gospel. And guess what? These nations have accepted it. Just like Nineveh in the Bible, when Jonah went to Nineveh, they have repented of their sins, and as a result, some great Christian revivals have taken place in these nations. The revivals have taken place outside of the United States. Did you hear me? The most dramatic Christian revivals that have taken place in the last few decades have happened outside of the United States. In places in other parts of the world where the gospel message has been preached to them by us, not the gospel we're living, but the gospel that we preach, and as a result, they have received it, they bought into it, they've sold out to it, and the Holy Spirit of God has visited them with uh, outpourings of supernatural miracles, signs, and wonders outside of the United States. You know, some of these nations that we've gone to to preach the gospel to and they've, they've accepted it, they discern where we're at spiritually. They can see and they can read and hear what we're all about. They've discerned that some of us have basically compromised their faith and some of us have turned our back on God's word. And you know what they're doing? You know what's the prevalent thing for these outside nations to do? Send missionaries back to the United States. They're sending missionaries from their 
nations to the United States in hopes that we will, it will spark a revival here. Can you believe that? Now, it hasn't happened just yet, but we are close to becoming a post-Christian nation. And by that I mean a nation that has lost its biblical or Christian worldview. I'm talking here in the United States of America, where we live. The place that has been founded on faith. I'm talking about a nation that loved the word of God like no other place on earth. We are dangerously close to having the same label that's in Germany, France, and England. Post-Christian. No Christian worldview, no biblical worldview, not trusting in the word of God, not adhering to the word of God when it's not convenient for us. In case you didn't know, can I, can I tell you that 200 years ago, England was the global hub of world missions? Now they're as post-Christian as you get. And we're heading there. How does that happen? How does a nation and a people become post-Christian? Dark screens and empty souls. Not recharging when we need to. Not feeding ourselves with the word of God. Not plugging in and connecting with the very God who breathed life into our souls in the first place. And from experience, that's what's talking here. You can only run on autopilot for very long. Before you start to shipwreck your life and you find yourself spiritually bankrupt. And with a depleted soul, the very first desire that starts to wane, to diminish in your life, is a passion for the presence of God. Let me say that again. With a depleted soul, the very first desire that starts to diminish and dwindle in your life is a passion for the presence of God. Now, you would think it would be the opposite. You think with the weary soul we would run hard after the living God, but that's not the case. With an empty soul, what eventually happens is we, it creates spiritual drifting, and that's when people stop going to church. With a depleted soul, with an empty soul, people stop having that passion for God's presence. They stop attending church. And this right here is causing pastors to be besides themselves. I'm talking pulling their hair out. I talked to a pastor, a good friend of mine, at the end of the year last year. He's a pastor of a huge church. He tells me he's never had more members attending his church than he has right now. Membership is up really high. But church attendance is the lowest it's ever been. People say they're attending his church, they've made his church their home church, but they don't come to church. So, empty souls translates to empty church seats. Now, it might be hard for you to accept this or to even believe it or embrace it, but church attendance is the key to revival. Church attendance is the key to revival. And the reason why church attendance is the key to revival, because in the scripture and throughout history, God always moves in the house of God first. 
He comes with correction. He comes with instruction. He comes with blessing to his house first. It happens all the time. So if we're going to see a revival, if we're going to want a revival in our community, in our nation, it has to start here in the house of God. Follow the scripture carefully and read about the ministry of Jesus and you'll find even though there was spillover to the Gentiles that he came in contact with, he ministered to every person including the Gentiles, but his main ministry was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he went after. He went after his own. On the Sabbath day, where would you find Jesus? In the synagogue. Every Sabbath day, that was his custom. In that synagogue, in the temple, preaching his heart out. Trying to get people that were already connected with God more passionate, more fired up. This was Jesus' ministry. This is what he went after. And as vital as evangelism is to the overall health of the church, the make-it-or-break-it metric is the believer. It's the believer, friend. Believers need to be fired up. Believers need to have a battery that's fully charged. Believers need to have souls that are filled all the way up to the top. Believers. I mean, you want to go after the lost? That's a great gift. That's a great desire. We need that more than ever before. But we got to address our own heart first. We have to make sure that we plug in and we recharge. And that's why starting on Wednesday, we're going after 12 days of prayer and fasting. You just finished the 12 days of Christmas? And you have a lot of fun. It's a beautiful thing. Eating as much as you want, doing whatever you want. Now it's 12 days of prayer and fasting. And we've been doing this for the whole 25-year history of our church. At the beginning of the year, spending some time in prayer and fasting. And it has become a personal lifeline for me. I can't do without it. And you know what I do for those couple of days? I get off my apps. I do. I shut down for the most part and I try to plug into a spiritual source. And it's during the prayer and fasting times that I engage God in special times, refreshing times in his presence. And so again, this Wednesday, January the 10th, all the way to Sunday, January the 21st, 12 days of prayer and fasting, I'm going to personally engage you and appeal to you to Join us for prayer. If you can't come to the church for one reason or another, pray at home. Spend some time wherever you can. And, and I know we said we have prayer from 7 to 8 in the morning, all 12 days, 7 to 8 in the evening, all 12 days except for Sunday. But the, the church is going to be open, so you can come anytime. We want you to work on that list that I gave you that will help you recharge and connect with God. I, I, I appeal to you to take advantage and intentionally and purposely determine right here, right now, I'm going to recharge this month. This month, I'm going to recharge spiritually. I'm going to plug my soul into God. God gave me life. He gave me breath. I need that breath. I need it each and every day. All right, let's bow our heads and let's prepare for communion.
Father, we thank you for this new year. We thank you for the gift, Lord God, of another number, 2018. Lord, there were some challenges in 2017. We felt as though the enemy attacked and the enemy came after us in the closing months of last year. But now we thank you, Lord, that you have raised up a standard against the enemy. And you've said, this is a new year. This is a new day. And Lord, this is the day that you've made for us. And I pray that each and every one of us would acknowledge that this is a gift that's come from you and that we're going to do something about it. We make a choice. We put our best foot forward. And we're going to start this new year plugged into you, God. We're going to recharge. We're going to reestablish some priorities. Maybe there's some things we have to cut out for a little while. Maybe for just a minute we can't do all the things that we're doing. Lord, help us. Help us to understand that if we want to see revival come to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our community, to our nation, it starts here. It starts with me. It starts with me, Lord. And as we present ourselves before you over these next 12 days, we're saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to put away a depleted soul, a depleted passion for God. And I want to be fired up. I want that battery to be all the way full. Meet with us, Lord, in these closing moments of our communion service. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. what Jesus had in mind when he instituted the communion service. When he appealed to us and he challenged us to do this in remembrance of him. Remember, that's what he said to his disciples. The scripture says it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take me back to the cross. And after supper was ended, Jesus took the, the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Back to the cross. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Back to the cross. With the communion service that we engage in every month or any, at any time that you do it, Jesus said, as often as you do it. You do it in remembrance of him. And he encouraged us, he, he instructed us to remember his death on the cross. Now, we have this record four times in the scripture. In the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's not recorded in John, the, the communion service. And we have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Four times, three times from the lips of Jesus himself, one time from the Apostle Paul. And as you well know, Paul wasn't there when Jesus shared those intimate moments with his disciples. In fact, he says, what I received from the Lord Jesus Christ myself, I passed along to you that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And so we have this instruction multiple times 
in the scripture to go back to the cross and to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember every detail, to remember the account, blow by blow, word for word. But then, you know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul adds a little further instruction to the communion service. And he said, in addition to always remembering what Jesus did for you, how he died on the cross for you, how love sent him there to carry your burdens, your sickness, your sins. In addition to that, the further instruction that Paul gave to us was to spend a little time examining our own hearts. He said, I want you to do that. Engage in a little self-reflection. And if on the other side of that reflection, if on the other side of that preparation, you see some things in your life that shouldn't be there, some things that need to be cut out, maybe there's some sin patterns that need to be addressed. He said, I want you to go ahead and ask God to forgive you of those sins, to repent of those sins, which means to change, not just to say, I'm sorry, it's, I'm committed to living life differently. And in the process... God will forgive you. So we do the repenting. God does the forgiving. Now, I think many believers know that. I think we understand that that's the process. But sometimes we have a hard time accepting that Jesus can forgive us or God can forgive us for some of the things that we do. We engage in them over and over and over again and we cry out to God and we say no more I'm done with this and God if you could just extend grace to me one more time I'm never going to do this I'm never going to say this again I'm never going to get and then we do it again so after a while we have a hard time thinking that God can actually forgive us violation after violation and still there's grace left for us yes because 1 John 9 1 9 1 John 1 9 says When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, so the power of the communion table, in addition to remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross, is not only us confessing our sins and God forgiving them, he cleanses us. He takes them away every time. And David said, when God does that, when he washes away at my soul, when he cleanses my soul, what? I'm white as snow. If there's anything we know here in Michigan, we know snow. And snow is white. It was beautiful at Christmas time. If you were dreaming or thinking about a white Christmas, you got your prayer answered. You got your wish. He cleanses us, friends. The very first step in soul recharge and in soul care is cleansing. I want this morning for your heart to be free, for your soul to be clean. This is what happens at the communion table every time. This is the benefit that you have when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the grace that is sufficient for us in all things. He washes our soul. He cleanses our soul. With a clean soul, man, you can plug right into God and you can say, God, here I am. No guilt, no shame, nothing to hold me back. 
Can I get you to bow your heads for just a minute? A couple of weeks ago on Christmas Eve, at the close of my message, I had an opportunity for people to respond and, and I called for some people to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the very first time and a half a dozen hands went up and then I asked for people who needed a little extra grace to maybe reconcile with someone that they were at odds with and a bunch of hands went up. And right after the service, somebody came up to me. I didn't recognize the person. And they said, I'm so glad that you made me raise my hand because I've committed to doing this over and over again. But now that I raise my hand in the presence of God, I'm going to do it. See, making that kind of commitment to the Lord, when you actually say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, it kind of pushes you a little bit. And so when I ask you to raise your hand, when I ask you to respond, it's not so I can see you. It's not so anyone else can see you. It's not to embarrass you. It's to get you to understand that when you commit it to God, you're probably going to have a better chance of doing it. With everyone with their heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, including me, I'm wondering how many people need a little soul cleansing this morning. Would you raise your hand if you do? Just raise it. Raise it, hold it up, and then put it back down. Father, we live in a dark world. It's a sinful world. So much brokenness around us, so much, Lord, vying for our attention, so much pulling us away from faith, so much that depletes the soul with good intentions, Lord. It just is this world that we live in. It's, there's gross darkness in this world. That's, that's what their scripture says. But you've given us light, Lord. I pray your light would shine upon your people, through your people. It starts, Lord, with a recharged soul, a soul that's fully plugged into you, a soul that's all the way up to the top because we've done the necessary things to make sure that we have allowed you to breathe your breath of life upon us. I pray cleansing, Lord, for every person in this place. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you went to the cross. You died there for every single sin, every sickness, every transgression. And your word says it was the final sacrifice. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. All that remains is for us to confess and repent. And we do that, Lord. We repent of the things that we say, do, act, and think are not pleasing in your sight. And on the other end of that confession comes a wonderful wave of cleansing, a forgiveness, and a cleaning like we could never imagine. Wash your people today, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thank the Lord for these special moments today. 2018 is going to be a great year. Say that. 2018 is going to be a great year. One more time. 2018 
is going to be a great year. Now believe it. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to go to cccsterling.org slash media or search CCC Sterling on the App Store for more messages from Community Christian Church.